0: Thank you for spending your time listening to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. Our mission is to explore the yoga practice in mindful and insightful ways, far beyond the shapes we make on our mat. We are an incredibly small team, just my daughter Megan and me, and we work hard to find inspiring individuals who make this practice come to life and bring them to you, all without any third-party advertising or interruptions. So if you're enjoying these podcasts, we hope you will take a moment to share or support your experience here. Like turning your yoga friends and community onto the show. You can follow Ashtanga Dispatch on Facebook or Instagram and share this podcast using the hashtag Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. Or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, rating us and even taking the extra time to leave us a review. And if you're in a position to help, please visit Ashtangadispatch.com to make a donation in any amount. Trust me, it all helps. And now, I hope you enjoy today's episode with teacher David Greig. This is David's third time on the podcast. David sees the yoga through the eyes of an artist, finding magic in the ordinary and painting the familiar into delightful new forms. Full of the same passion, that same spark of enthusiasm that sets souls on fire, he also seemed different this time. Maybe more comfortable, definitely more clear, and especially about his role in the world and as a teacher. In fact, when David says his whole life has been leading up to this point, I believe him. This is the process he tells me a process through practice. Thanks for listening and enjoy the interview. Here's David Garig. Do you know that you were my first interview?
1: Do you I remember? Didn't, I didn't remember that. No. You, you didn't
0: remember that? No. no. Well, I was driving up here and I looked at the stats and we just passed our 200,000 download. Wow. I know. Like That's I never thought that was going to happen. In that yeah. very first interview, you were my guinea pig. Uh-huh. You didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I think you <laughs> at your house, right? No, I think oh, it was in DC. It was in DC. It was, DC? It was oh. I feel like it was at Georgetown Yoga. Oh, wow. It was a oh, long, God. well, it was three years ago. Huh. Shoot. But yeah, you were the first one.
1: Yeah.
0: It's come a long That's way. awesome. Yeah. I feel like, like the podcast has been my way of almost developing a voice. And I was so nervous in the beginning. I was so nervous. I was so glad that you were there and that you actually agreed to do it. I coerced you. I had you there. So. But, um, yeah, and now here we just passed 200000 and here we are again. This is your third one.
1: All right. This, yeah, okay, because I remember the second one then. I guess yeah,
0: I everyone remember remembers, the, remembers the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the second one? Uh,
1: not the specifics. No. Oh, I'm my not. gosh.
0: You walked in, and I think I was already recording, and... We have people here, so you can give me eyes if you remember this. But I think you said, I'm mad at you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were. Or you had a bone to pick with me or something. Yeah, oh, and it was, okay, do you remember, remember this? Yeah, you were yeah. all fired up. Yeah. About something. About
1: the, the asana.
0: That totally was what it was. Yeah. Yep. About the asana. I'm still fired up about it. I'm still fired up yeah. about the asana. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, while I was looking at the stats driving up here... There was also something else I looked at which I shouldn't have. I really shouldn't have, but I looked I looked at reviews. And so, oh, so no. many good reviews. Like yeah. I was like so happy. Yeah. And then I get to like a recent one and it says, I guess this is typical of people who do podcasts, but the host seems to have quite an ego. It's so hurt it, like I don't know. Like, I was just saying to you, like, I started, but I didn't really have a voice and yeah. kind of developed it.
1: And so now. Or even, like, didn't know that that was something that was going to give you a voice or, you know, a way to. I don't think you had that in mind at all. Right? I, I no, totally, not even
0: totally did not bit. have that in mind at all. Yeah, I didn't. It was all kind of new for me. And I thought about a conversation that you and I had not too long ago about ego. And I asked you, I said, is ego always such a bad thing? I mean, is that... I mean, I'm not saying arrogance, ego, but isn't there another side of it? I mean, aren't we supposed to be finding who we are and our voice and our place? And isn't that kind of part of the practice?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of amazing when you up the definition of ego in the dictionary it's it's not what you think like we use it negatively um, generally but it's a very positive word it it means um it's like self-worth self-confidence self-respect uh these type of things and and it makes sense to me, um, because it's a really interesting paradoxical aspect to yoga, which it, and if is that you have to be uh, nuanced in your kind of looking at what things are saying. So, like the kleshas, those afflictions. So, and it, but if you and you'll see different. Uh, Interpretations of that word, Klesha, but the main one is affliction, and so if you and if you take that word, then and you go down the list, then and Asmita is one of these afflictions, and that's ego, right? So it, so it, automatically you think of this I sense as being an affliction, and, uh, and so yoga is like sort of encouraging that idea that. Clacias are to be attenuated or eliminated.
0: So. Yeah, I felt embarrassed. Oh my gosh, my this voice I've worked to develop and have some confidence with, all of a sudden I felt like it's ashamed. A bit bad. Yeah. yeah.
1: So and what I love about like Barbara Stoller-Miller's interpretation, how she says it, it's the clacia is a corrupted force. See, this is a whole different Feeling about those things, so because you want to see those, the things that they're calling afflictions. First of all, they're forces; they're basic forces of a human being, like uh, attachment to pleasure. Uh, that that idea is a raga, and um, and even clinging to life, a uh, bini Vaisha is one, and so, but. So underneath the afflicted aspect is a very essential aspect of as a human being. Like, like you have this kind of whole equipage of your person that includes like your arms and your legs, like a very physical thing. and, and parts of your personality and um, that your makeup, like psychic makeup. And they're all essential. Parts in uh, in a mundane sense, like they help you negotiate this world, so very practically. But and then also, though we know that in the spiritual, in a yoga sense, that everything material serves a purpose of like kind of climbing or learning about the spiritual aspect or the spiritual dimension of your life and existence, and and so even those. All of those mundane things, or all those things about you, they they have they serve a purpose in that, a positive purpose. Every single klesha is a, it's a force you need. You need your ego, and the definition shows you because you. So you need a very strong sense of an identity of self and of and confidence and respect for yourself, and um, and. That can become corrupted. But, but David, I've
0: never heard but, it explained in a positive way. I mean, like I've really never actually had it presented. Any of the cleashes. I know. Media, but I never. So, <laughs> I'm just d- no, Peg, you gotta dig this. So, I. You know, Corey. Yeah. 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 Hi, Corey. Hi, listening. Corey. In D.C. So,
1: he he wrote me like because I talked about this in my. Um, yoga Sutras course when you're we talking about the Kleshas and he said he said oh it was, oh, that was amazing or something he wrote me a text and I wrote back like something really dramatic I said yes. my whole life has been leading up to this <laughs> <laughs> no because it's so big that this right it's a whole revolutionary idea that like clinging to life you have to cling to life. That's a, the most, one of the most best things you have in your whole person. It's Even in the Yoga Sutras, it's it's used in that klesha sense, like as an affliction or something, but it's also used as a one of the four forms to connect with to create a state of nirodaha, a state of yoga, stopping the activity of the mind so that... Um, a smita, so this i sense is part of how you create samadhi and you create a, a yogic state and um, so and it's also connected to this whole idea of dharma okay so that yes yeah so you every person is born with some kind of destiny to fulfill some very individual work And that is part of the reason you got a body and a mind, is because you have something called a seer, right? To something to see, and that thing has never been seen before, right? Never. So the way you see it is entirely unique. When you see clearly, okay. So it takes a while to get to to kind of unwrap the layers to get to this but it, but it's a very pure eye sense is essential because it's an individual work it's a it's a unique perspective that is it's never been seen or done or made or shared what you have and so how can you do that without an ego without an eye sense like it's a it's an essential piece of the equipage and it's a core thing. It's like deep, deep, uh, essential, central.
0: There's a quote I, that I have in the magazine, in the third one, and I can't remember who said it, but it says, you have to be someone before you can be no one.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. That's what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: And so in a certain way, then to, to really practice yoga, uh, to get to that place of kind of individuation if you don't have the healthy ego the healthy eye sense then you're going to going to have a really hard time you'll it, it'll derail because of compensation and stuff like that if you don't have the self-worth and the self-respect to to respect because what you have to share then is unique like it, you can't copy it can't imitate somebody to get it. So it takes a lot of courage and strength to stand up and just be yourself. And you'll always have uh, people at odds with it that won't like it because it's different. And it should be different. And so, so you have to be able to withstand somebody criticizing you because you stood up and just used your own voice to speak what what your truth is. And yoga is giving you the strength to be able to do that. Right? Ideally. But and you use the word arrogance and, and it, that's a perfect that's example. That's what I
0: always think of when I hear ego though. It's I think of arrogance.
1: That's the first thing that comes to my I know, mind. But the, and that's and conceited. Yes. So those are yeah. these are words that are perfect descriptions of a of ego. That and that's something you have to be on guard about. And that it, it's called affliction for a very purposeful reason an important reason is that in this kind of in a way like building up a sense of self you can go over you it's very easy to become arrogant and and we all do it we become um, overconfident or and uh, or the uh, yeah and so the, so the, that's just a natural aspect of of dealing with this, dharma or whatever and like becoming a person that has something to share and offer in the world you know and um and so 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 you you it's nuanced then you have to make a distinction of where does it flip over into arrogance this um sense of confidence and self-worth that i'm
0: so when you coming use the word me. self-worth, I like that. Would the affliction then also be the opposite of, of not valuing and exactly.
1: not seeing your own worth? Exactly. And and the way you behave. Because the force of corruption, it leads you into unskillful responses that, that that cause harm to you and to other others. And so if you coming from this place of not feeling, not respecting yourself, not feeling worthy... And then the way you perceive the world and how you respond is going to be imprecise, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah. And more mistake-prone because you'll, like, think things about people or what they think about you that aren't true and um, projections. I was just thinking projections. All kinds of strange things that don't need to be and that wouldn't be if you have a sense of worth that you just wouldn't even respond to the world that way and and so and that's an important distinction that a corrupted force is not just being arrogant that it, it's like being kind of falsely humble too and like not valuing your opinion that's that's a corrupted I
0: I like the way you say corrupted. Yeah. Yeah, because it just sounds like, well, it's corrupted. So it's it's not a bad to begin with. It's just, but it gets infected or something. Exactly,
1: It's so good. That is the sense of it. And it changes it. It entirely changes your idea of that Klesha. And it makes it more useful to me, much more practical. Like, how would I apply this to my life?
0: Well, can I ask you about another one? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Megan and I were talking about this really recently attachment
1: yes uh, and this is such a beautiful
0: one I'm slightly attached to my kids
1: so you remember we were saying you're given you're the equipage what you're given you need everything every littlest part of you you need to be able to understand that spiritual dimension if you don't you got to use it all because dig this this is an amazing thing. Two things I want to tell you. Okay, one is the word punya. Okay? Punya means virtue. Okay? And so and to me I say it's a okay, kind you'll appreciate this. When I hear the word virtue, I just want to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know like it, it's like right or wrong like virtue, when you're virtue, you know. It's like righteous, Exactly, it's like he wants to be virtuous, no. right? Yeah. It's a terrible word, it's like righteous. And, and so, and it's like very hyper alert to what's right or wrong, and then judgmental and goody, goody. And so, if you look it up in the dictionary, the word virtue, which is this punya, this very important yogic word. It, it, well, it has three senses. And one is right or wrong, okay? In a very, what you would think. Like what you'd think, right or wrong. What's right, what's wrong, and just making a distinction. Or even like good and evil. It's like there's bad and there's good. It's that simple. And, you, and there's virtuous behavior in that sense. There's right behavior, right conduct, and wrong conduct. Okay, But so the second one is um, it's expedient which means practical and um, suitable. Okay, so... Really? Yes. And so this is so, such a relief. All of a sudden, I like virtue because it's not, it it could be, it could be ultimately right, just so right, do you know? In terms of its right or wrongness, But but totally impractical. And then... Wait, can you give me an you. example? I can give you uh, many examples. Okay. <laughs> can okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm, so, it, it, it leads to a whole thing. But let's suppose that there's, like, an imposture in an asana, that there's, like, a very right way to do triangle. In a biomechanical you. sense, like, how you rotate your joints... There's like that really right way that it, it is. But then there's the person doing that pose that has, because every person's femur is a little bit different. I mean, we all have femurs and then we all externally rotate our leg. But some people have longer legs, shorter, shorter legs, shorter shorter, bigger sockets, though. smaller balls yeah. in the socket. So that the way that they will do it, there's a practicality to it there's an expediency there's like so to try to fit that person into the right way to do that thing makes no sense whatsoever it what makes sense is what's what's suitable to this very circumstance and and so the idea that there's some kind of ultimate truth like in that that's just that that's all there is is this is true every time in every case every every way that's just a That is some land of make-believe or some kind of projected ideal state that may have a place in terms of a conception of reality. Within a real world, human beings, flawed with um, all kinds of limits, Real limits, not self-imposed limits. Genetic limits, um, you know, limits. Just who we are, we're, we're, we're imperfect beings. And we're never capable of acting morally perfect in any circumstance, right? There's always a gray area. There's always a little falsity within our truth. There's always a bias, some slantedness to our perspective, right? And and so you've got to find what fits, what actually works, what what works for this situation, this moment, this interaction, and that is virtue. Okay, but we haven't even got to the attachment part. No, we haven't. Okay, so the third thing is beauty. Okay, so that virtue is, what's virtuous is beautiful. In, in in an aesthetic sense okay that the, the universe is an uh, an um an organic machine of beauty and you you know that when you just look around go out in nature and look we're in montana just, yes. right now <laughs> so much yeah. Right? Beauty, yeah you can't beauty is everywhere yeah and that's part of the the whole design of existence it's it's based on aesthetics on, and what is aesthetics? Aesthetics is, its concern for uh, shape and color and tension and unity and form, and it's what pleases your senses, and what pleases your intellect. Okay, so. Virtue is what's right, combined with what's expedient, combined with what pleases you. What actually turns your senses on and, you, and stimulates your mind and your intellect and, and, and where you go, yes, I love that. I like that. And what, right? But it's a big thing. No, just think of this. To think of morality as having uh, that p- partly it's what pleases you, what you are attached to, what you like, what you love is part of what constitutes right and wrong. OK, so that that's a big statement that's real. OK, and and then dig this samadhi. OK, that's the eighth limb, the ultimate yoga Technique is this absorption, it's called. Okay, and what does that mean, absorption? I'll give you some synonyms. It means to be in, uh, absorbed, absorbent, uh, captivated, enraptured, bewitched, enchanted, in love with. Oh, you just got to it, didn't you? Just got to it. Okay, <laughs> Samadhi. The ultimate yoga is to be a, to fall in love with whatever is the object to the degree where nothing else exists. It's a, everything else falls away except for that one thing. To be enraptured. You understand? Aesthetic. Think of the the bliss. There's a bliss quality to what we're to yoga that absolutely requires you to be attached. Absolutely requires attachment. So the sadhana, your practice, it means that whatever that makes up that sadhana, like you have to be Compel, like enraptured by asana basically if you practice ashtanga or that it has to hook you in a way it does not hook your husband <laughs> <laughs> right your husband he doesn't give a shit about asana right it no. doesn't hook him at all no. but it hooks you enough, and it has to, to get you out of bed and onto your mat. It's that enthusiasm. Every single Th- That's morning. how you get that enthusiasm, exactly. right? It's, that's how you
0: hold on to that, is a little bit of that Without in love attachment a lot to head, of it, right?
1: A lot of it, not a little bit. It has to be so deep, actually, so radical that you, that it compels you to do it. And then, of course, you see, this is the razor's edge or the the yoga to do yoga or to actually to be alive is to gamble. It's just that simple. There's no there's no way everything about life is risky. It's continual risk, even though we try our best to make everything as secure as possible and kind of risk free as possible. But but it's impossible to do that always at risk right and and so here you have this deep attachment that it's so interesting that the highest technique of yoga that samadhi is to become so attached to something that it absorbs you right and then but then and then you have raga this corrupted thing where you're attached to pleasure in an addiction sense in a sense that you're trying to repeat the same thing over and over again and how terrible that is, how much suffering that causes us, right? That's part of why yoga exists, is to provide the contrast. And and that's one of the reasons yoga gets taken wrong is because, because it's a polarization in a way that, like, attachment, non-attachment. Yes. Ego, egoless, Right. And so you, you want to be able to hold that polarization without taking it literally. Like, to, to have that perspective of um, non-attachment without needing the extreme of it. Like, where you cut everything off and you think that attachment is bad, right, of all kinds. Right. And, and so... But then it can provide this healthy perspective because from a spiritual point of view and from like a kind of extreme or or pure spiritual point of view, everything material is changing. It's constantly in, in this flux. And so to get attached to it, to treat it like it's permanent and to hold on to it, 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 it especially in this super clingy way where you beget you have a desperation and a suffering if you're without that thing that's that's causing you suffering that's a and it's a mistake it's also just a mistake it's not you we're not meant to attach to things that are constantly changing trying to make them not change like that's a that is not wisdom that it's makes just, sense yeah it's not life Right. And so you have to flow with that, that even the most dear things to you are in flux and they're they're coming and they're going. And and that's part of the beauty of life is that. Right. If if you and your child were in an eternal, you know, temporal, spatial relationship it would be the worst nightmare you could ever think of. That whatever love that was <laughs> <laughs> would be ah! Just this terrible right? Hell <laughs> And the very fact though that it's temporary, that it's not gonna last is so is what makes it so it's attachable, right?
0: It's so easy to recognize the bookend, the polarized and so you yeah, yeah. describe things so well in terms of that. But what you're saying, they're static. They, yeah. But they're also not very real. No. I mean, right?
1: No. In either case. In either case. When you try to take them as real, like, so attachment taken all the way to the end is just this world is all there is. So eating and drinking and whatever, all the things of this world are what life is about. It's a terrible existence, right? And then the other is too. Gosh, like you, and it's so weird to think that you could get, from a a hedonist point of view, the idea that you could become so detached from existence that you have no relationship to anything is unimaginable. But to somebody that really gets into yoga for some reason that idea becomes more and more inviting as as like a salvation as like the ultimate experience and that that it's a trap to get attached to anything and so then you refrain from relationship and from engaging in life in this in a very deep way that is just part of what makes life living uh, worth living right and, and so you have to be careful in both directions. And see, there's, there's an analogy that, I, that I, they use, but, and I have a different one that I, I like both, but I think you need the second one to go with the first one. So the one analogy is, so you have the whole material world on one hand with all of its stuff, its attachments, its ego, its, Clingings, its fears, and all that. And then you have the spiritual, which is pure. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It's not involved, not attached, right? Not afraid, not nothing. It's just this pure being, pure consciousness. It's like a blind man and a lame man. So they're completely dependent on each other. So the blind man... Can't get anywhere, can't see, to go. But, so, but the lame man can't get anywhere because he can't walk properly. So they have to go together. So that
0: <laughs> is this your analogy? No. Oh, this, this is it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. This, this is the Samkhya Yoga okay. analogy. This is the classic yoga thing. It, they have to go together. And it's a beautiful thing. So, like on piggyback. So the blind man has to carry the lame man along and like that. And so, and it's just basically there. De- and it's a weird thing because also yoga is saying that spirit is independent. So it's completely not dependent on matter. And matter is completely dependent on spirit. But then they give you this little break by telling you about the lame man and the blind man. Where they they sort of go, it's like almost a wink. They say, "Well, they really are dependent on each other because if you're if to be a seer, a spiritual being is a seer, but if you have nothing to see, so all the materials, all everything seeable, so you've got to have some material to see if you're a seer, right? So that's that thing. But what I think the analogy that's better is that they're actually like two mirrors." and and they are dependent on each other to reflect each other okay so that without the world without being very steeped in the world in a in a in a mundane in a materialistic way th- there's there's nothing to base your spirituality on like you you have to act in the world to even know if you're you're virtuous to even know if you have worked through your anger to a point where you reach ahimsa, say, or something like that. And so so that your your behavior, your actions in the world are actually a mirror for and, and a reflection of your the state of your spiritual health, or your spiritual maturity. And then the opposite though, that you The idea of you as a spiritual being, you need that perspective and that kind of uh, lens to even give any meaning at all to all this material stuff you're up to. So if you lack either, you're in trouble. It's just that simple. You're miserable, ultimately. You're harming yourself and probably others.
0: Well, I feel like the way we ha- go into the yoga practice, especially in talking about the Klesias, is that we're going in to, to cure ourselves. Like, we're, we're already afflicted, and we, we are going in so that we can cure all of that. And we throw out the terms as if we know what they are. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. It, it's so terrible. We do it... Uh, I mean, I do it a lot. It's easy because it is easy to describe... One or the other. Yes. One mirror or the other
1: one. (laughs) You just said it, though. (laughs) This idea of cure. See, and there's this James Hillman thing that's so good. Okay, so what he says is that as human beings, part of what we do is we pathologize. Okay? It's such a beautiful idea. It's And that... And so we, meaning that we generate afflictions as something a human being does. Okay, that is just simply part of the deal of being a human being. And, and so, and so <laughs> when we go into a therapeutic mode where that exactly what you said, do we go into something like wanting to be cured. And, and, and also, so that we take pain then to be a sign that there's something wrong with us. Yes. Okay, so that since we're in pain, something is wrong, right. and then there's no insight from that pain because we're in pain, so there, we're wrong. And then, and then when we stop being in pain, then insight will come and we'll be right. right. We'll be cured, right? Correct. But this is the totally wrong idea. And because what he says is the wound is the eye oh I love that yeah so that and that you can't have so that it's not that you're, the insight is within the affliction itself you can't get rid of the affliction actually you can't even get rid of it so it's a waste of time to to try in this ultimate sense of being cured of like egoism or attachment or whatever so then what <laughs> then what because it can't be black and white anymore. You can't be that I'm gonna be cured, then I'm gonna have insight or healing. No, that means that you have to live with this messy situation of a mixture of kind of virtue and non-virtue and attachment in a negative sense and attachment in a very positive sense. And, And even like the niyama, say, of santosha, contentment. That it doesn't—it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm content with everything and all discontent has been discarded or overcome or transcended. No, it means I live with discontent. That I've somehow live amongst the, all this dissatisfaction within me, around me, but somehow there's there's a juxtaposition of contentment within discontentment. And. So, and,
0: Well, good. Is this he, is the one that Robert, like, it drives him crazy. I mean, yes. they the content like, what, what, we, really? You're just yeah. satisfied? Like, how does anybody ever do anything or get anything done yeah, if you're just always content and everything's fine? And, and he has a real hard time with that one. Yeah, and, it's and
1: absolutely I, preposterous. And it's not what yoga is telling you at all. You, you, it's a very whitewashed version that doesn't help you. In fact, if you really take it seriously, it will screw you up. It'll, it'll make you it, uh, avoid reality, right? Because, and, and so your hunger, I love this Kabir line. It's just so good. He says, do you think there's some place that will make the soul less thirsty? Just love that line. And then in that great absence you will find nothing you'll find nothing and he says be strong then and enter into your own body there you'll find solid place for your feet and it's so so important your your hunger your dissatisfaction so key to your Finding your voice and expressing what you need to, who you need to be in this world, or what seeing what you need to see, sharing what you need to share. And I'll overstep
0: sometimes too, right? I mean, yeah, and that's that's part of it, isn't it? It's part of
1: it. (laughs) What can you? Yes, totally. I'll make mistakes. Yeah, and you can get you can be too frustrated, or right, right, too disgruntled to, yeah, so many ways to overstep. And, and that's what, what you're doing though, is you're, you're dancing, you're negotiating, you're trying your best and trying to be as discerning as possible.
0: I think about it like trying to get to the middle and batting back and forth and maybe like <laughs> somehow you get closer and closer, right? Yeah. It goes too far this way, bat it back over here and.
1: Yeah. And then, But then new circumstance comes, and, and then you're back to grosser things. Like, it's amazing what life will throw at you, right? Like, it's impossible totally. to, to just keep honing it in like that because some new obstacle will come, and then you're back out here going,
0: oh, my <laughs> See, God. See, I tried to do it. I tried to make it simple. I, tried <laughs> I totally tried to do it. I'm like, yeah, I, gotta, I have a simple formula. But no, it's not. No. It's not, is it?
1: And it's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's terrible sometimes, right? To, to feel, because you think you start to get it dialed in, like that you get wisdom or you start to understand like, okay, I've got this, I've got it. And then some kind of gross mistake will come or some outcome that you just totally didn't expect, right? That, that you were like, whoa, what the heck happened to skill in action? You know? And then you gotta go back to that process of of finding the middle. The process. Yeah, yeah.
0: I remember, I'm gonna take you back to Asana now. I remember you said to me, Peg, you execute it so well. And I said, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And you did not mean that as a compliment. It took me a long time to understand, I think, what you were trying to say. And that was because I wanted to get it right. So I would get into a position and I, I would do that. I just wanted to get
1: it right. Yeah, that's that punya sense. Yeah. Of Right? like that, And that's what I wanted you to find. I wanted you to, to discover the aesthetic. Because you see, what's so interesting is it's like, so the aesthetic of it, what pleases your senses and what pleases your intellect if you if that's not there if only doing it right is there where's the Samadhi where's the thing that's going to really absorb you in it because because a sense of right and wrong it's just so dry in a way there, it lacks soul right and oh I like the way you just put that yeah yeah. yeah and and you there, there's a juice you're looking for in it and like and a, and a personal investment in it like what and that's where your aesthetic comes in it's like and, and this is that's your posture right there and you what what do you have to say about it and and like your eye sense your where's your sense of th- that you care enough about what you are doing to like decide this is what I'm doing and this is cool. That's this is- so interesting the way you put that because yeah. you're
0: right at that point in time where I was, I just wanted to do it right. I had no personal style. There wasn't any personal investment. Yeah. I I hadn't found that. it or even started. I mean, it's not like I'm going to find it, but I hadn't even, I hadn't
1: explored yeah. and that so idea. Those- and those, um, those four forms that I was talking about that you connect with to create Neurodaha, how in Asmita, Aynas is one. But Aynas is the fourth one. So it's like the most deep one. The first one is called Vitarka. And it means conjecture or uh, measurement or and so that's and and it's very objective in that sense, or very external. It's gross. So that's it means, when you were
0: talking about triangle pose. Exactly. It would be this is the way the measure
1: this against that. And right. it's very like yeah. That, Internal, external. Yeah. This is, okay. And so so that's needs to be represented. But then and then the next one is called vichada, And that means um subtle. And it they liken it so that vitarka is the striking, like a very active, effortful type of measuring, like striking a gong. <laughs> And then the vitrata is subtle and it's reflective and it's like listening to the sound. So that that there you are in the midst of all this effort of trying to find the middle between opposites. And but part of you is just like watching and receptive to it rather than trying to do it. Okay, that's that. And then the third part, Ananda, your sense of bliss. And right, and your your liking, and then Iness. So the deepest parts are Ananda and Asmita. What you like, and your sense of inus is so so beautiful. Such an amazing thing that yoga is showing. Then, and and also. So much discernment, so much clarification of what we actually mean, right? Because, because otherwise you'll think Inus is a, is just an ego, an an affliction that you yep. need to become egoless, like dissolve as though you have no your, self. Dissolve yourself. Yeah, and merge, you know, like as though you don't have any identity or something, and that that's what universal love or something is. When it's not there, it's a deeper kind of more nuanced thing.
0: I feel like there's so many different avenues that we could go and that (laughs) I want to. Um, You know, uh, just... I get upset with things that are happening in the world and I want to say something and I want to do something. And at the same time, though, there's a feeling that that's not very... Yogic. Does that f- make sense? You know what I mean? Like you're, everybody's making peace and you don't want to up- upset anyone and yeah. there is no right or wrong. And But there right. is. you. Yeah. What you just said, you went through layers. There, yeah. there, there is part of that at the very realest sense, but then it gets more subtle. I mean, it's not the only layer. Yeah. But there is a sense of right and wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, me, I tend to think of it like... <sighs> So for one, if, if everyone has some little role to play, some destiny, there is what, six billion of us? Six billion perspectives, right? And so for one, everybody's work is different, okay? Every single person. So you can't generalize in that sense of like who should do what in that really specific way. And and so to me hatha yoga or yoga in general for one it is valuing it's it's a commitment to valuing this incubation that that's that's ongoing like that you you retreat you withdraw you um, go, you vision quest, you draw upon your own inner resources, and you you consult your insides, like as a very committed practice. Okay, and and for some people, I love the about um, Joseph Campbell because he talks about shamanism and about like. This, the like Native American vision questing, and how you go off in the desert by yourself with just some water and you confront everything within yourself and within the elements. And, and, and then, but he said this, and I didn't catch it the first time I read it. He said that the, the, the person, because you, you get this sense that, like, you go do that as a, as a young person. And it takes whatever, three days or five days. And then you come back and you've kind of got this vision that you're going to apply to the tribe. But what he said is you can do it as often as you like or as necessary. Okay, so some people, they might go for five days and they know what they need to do. And they don't need to go back there and do that. I'm not one of those people. No, <laughs> and and others. I mean, me. I have to go board there three hours a day. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that's real. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. I guess I am because I'm apologizing. I feel a little bit bad about it, but <laughs> but I also I allow myself that uh, experience because, because I value what is in there. And I want, and, and that part of even what my Dharma, or what is that I teach you, the student, that, to value that in yourself, and to take that time for yourself to, fig- and to do that, and to go through that process so that you actually know what you care about, what is worth standing up for, what where you're most effective in interfacing and and so for me like and for me like in a really kind of expedient sense like um it's for I've determined it's it's much better for me to like do my yoga and teach my classes and offer my message than it is for me to go march it's just a better use of my time and 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 of course there's, we can't ever be certain, there's risk no matter what you do. And and there may come, like, there's a lot of feeling that the pressure is mounting, that in so many areas, environmentally, socially, politically, medically, uh, uh, economically, right? So many fronts of imbalance, that there maybe there will come a tipping point when there won't be room for, like, a personal practice or for people to. There might be where everyone just has to go out in the street and. No, but do I like the way right? you just said that. It's it's
0: you have to find your own personal path, and yet yeah. we can often judge others from. It makes only because it makes us feel better if everyone's doing what we're doing. Or yeah. it, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I
1: don't. And then, but, Peg, one other thing is to me, the, the, the intensity of the situation and the different fronts that I just mentioned, what it means, though, is that I am not playing around with my time and my energy, that I am very serious about how like me doing sadhana is a very super something I take very seriously and and teaching so that I'm trying my very best to make a positive impact and to uh, to do my part as a person to evolve humanity and to um, evolve the situation you know and 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 you just every, got really clear. Yeah. You just got really clear. Really clear. Because because it's not frivolous, this. And and that it what matters is that every person take their role very seriously and they work hard to be the best that they can be and to be a person that's beyond themselves. I don't I, I if I'm only satisfying my little needs, that's a problem now. That's not good enough. I, I and and especially if you are in a position to help, you know it takes a lot. It takes a lot of strength. And um, you, the word privilege is overused or w- weirdly used, but but it is a it's a good fortune to be in a place where you can think bigger and to try to transcend your own needs and actually reach out beyond that and be concerned with others and that really is one of the, the spiritual principles right? That if you're talking, when we were talking about those poles that like the pure materialist I guess in a, I don't know actually, uh, sorry because sometimes I think like that in in the almost in the most base way of being a pure materialist you really only care about yourself and satisfying your own senses, your own sense of th- things, right? And that, but it's not true exactly because, because there's a way to be in the world very materialistically like you, attached to your children, attached to your community, that is so positive. And, and, that, that, and so you can even, you can transcend your little I-ness even without having a spiritual thought about the world, Right? Yeah. And um but you can also not. You can also do it in a very negative way of just it's all just gone to hell and so I'm just going to look out for myself. You know? Or the or I'm powerless. I don't really I can't do anything. So, I'll just look out for myself. But but in some way or another, that's what dharma is. It's to transcend yourself and to like care about others, of care about the world in some way that's takes you beyond yourself. And and that's one of the greatest gifts of that life can give you or that you can give yourself, right? And one of the reasons that I love yoga so much is because, it's not because I get to practice it, it's because I get to share it. I really do feel that that's what I have to offer.
0: It was really fun to see you speak that so clearly and your eyes, you just got very intently focused and and you just know you yeah. know I mean you were expressing your dharma what you feel so viscerally and passionately yeah boy yeah. i think that's but, and so going back just circling right back that's ego in a beautiful way right that's knowing who you are and and embracing totally. what you the gift that you're
1: bringing yeah and and, and trusting And trusting. And it's so hard because there's so many people, they don't like me, (laughs) right? And having a thick skin is not easy. I don't have a thick skin, but you have to get one to a certain degree to even do it, right? To even put yourself out there. It's amazing how untrusting we can be of ourselves and of what's in there and what we're capable of and, you know, what's waiting there.
0: You've never been a teacher who has enjoyed giving easy answers. Yeah. And that's always sent me as a student back to me to, to answer those, Yeah. which I've always appreciated
1: very much if you have this kind of individual perspective to win through to, how can somebody take you there? But no one can, it's only you, and between you and the cosmos itself, right? That that gave you the vision. So it's there, it's everything you have, everything you need is there. Thanks for listening. The Ashami Dispatch podcast is edited and produced See?
0: (laughs) Today's episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast was edited and hosted by me, Peg Mole Queen, along with Megan Powell. The show is produced by Chris Lucas.